Hey everybody, and thank you again for joining me today on another episode of the NHS 100K podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Today I am joined by Brooke. Um, I've been speaking to Brooke um, just before the show and last week as well because she's got a really interesting story. Now she's from across the pond, so don't hold it against her, all right? But I'm using you guys in ge gently to uh, to guess from, from all over the world. Um, so briefly, I'm not going to say too much as I always like to um, steal people's thunder. But Brooke was a regional uh, director and site manager of um, a company that was doing clinical trials for the Pfizer stage three. So she's got she's going to have some really good stuff to tell us. And um, yeah, I'll kick it over to you, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate it very much. It's all right. Thank you for joining me. Now, so it took us a little while to get the time zones figured out because I'm rubbish. <laughs> and so are you guys. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize that 24 hour clock with you guys ain't, ain't such a thing as it is over here, is it? So, uh, in my, in my profession, it is, we use a 24 hour clock all the time. So, oh, well, there you go. That's just blow my theory out of the water. Some, but someone I was speaking to yesterday in America, they didn't have a clue what I was talking about when I was doing 24 hour clock. So, <laughs> and I come from a military family, so, you know, we're, we're used to using that. Right. Do you know the um, the alphabet as well? The uh, Tango Mike, Oscar Charlie and all that kind of stuff as well, although it's slightly different. I do. Yeah. Breaker, breaker. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. So, Brooke, tell us, um, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you're doing, and tell us your story, please. Sure, sure. So, my name is Brooke Jackson. I have been a 20-year uh, career professional in clinical trials. And most of this experience has come from the site level. So during a clinical study or a clinical trial or a study, um, pharmaceutical companies, and we'll be talking about Pfizer specifically today, but they, they delegate some of their trial responsibilities to contractors. One of the contractors that's involved in my lawsuit against Pfizer is a company called Icon. So Pfizer delegated some of those responsibilities to ICON, and one of those was to choose the sites in the United States and, and around the world to um, participate in their phase three clinical trial. So the clinical trial is, you know, the stage where the testing's done, where we in, um, ensure that there's, you know, a, a safety, there's, there's efficacy, and then that data gets um, submitted to the FDA, for example, for final approval. <clears throat> so ICON was in charge of site selection and chose a site in Texas called Ventavia Research Group to begin enrolling into their clinical trial. I was hired as the regional director of two of the clinical trial sites that, that were participating in the study. So, okay, fine. So how many people were you sort of, were you privy to how many people were in your trial as in on the, okay. So let me, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. Um, were you in charge of selecting people for the trials or were you there just to, to kind of oversee it and make sure it's done properly? Yeah. So my job as the regional director was to really from the site level, manage the day-to-day -day operations. I am a certified auditor. So ensuring that the data that we are collecting is, is sound, that, you know, these patients' rights, their safety, their well-being are in the forefront. And um, 
you know, my, my time at this company was brief. I was only employed for exactly 18 days. Um, my job previously was a director of operations for a very similar company. I was there for a little over five years. And, you know, when I was um, at, at that company, really just had a great experience in negotiating, you know, budgets for these clinical trials, you know, negotiating contracts with the pharmaceutical companies and their contractors. And, you know, um, I, had, I had a great time there. So I, I was looking forward to helping this new company that I, I went with, Ventavia, and, you know, helping them with this clinical trial. I walked into a nightmare, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. So, so just so everybody knows th this wasn't your first rodeo then. So you've been, that's you've been... not my first rodeo. No, I mean yeah. that my, my area of expertise are really in gastroenterology, hepatology, uh, transplant, um, and infectious disease. So this is, you know, mainly, uh, the studies that I've worked on my entire 20 years, although I have experience in cardiovascular trials, device trials. So I've, I've really, you know, I've spent my entire career, um, you know, helping to ensure that this clinical trial data is collected in a way that uh, meets all of the standards that govern uh, and regulations that govern clinical research. Right. Okay. So in before working at the, your most recent company, had you experienced anything like this in previous companies beforehand? I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's, it's very important. And the answer to it is, is absolutely not. I've never seen a clinical trial this rushed. And, you know, when I think back to the trials that I have run, I've, I've, I've been involved in some huge studies that were enrolling large numbers of patients at a, at a quick pace. But with this particular Pfizer trial, there was, there was that direct push from Pfizer knowing that there were problems at my clinical trial site, um, you know, and despite that, Pfizer, Icon, and Ventavia were all aware of the problems that were going on with these, with these patients, and they continued to push anyway. So <clears throat> where you were, so obviously you said there were, there were multiple sites that, that were involved in the clinical trials. Did right. you, and we'll delve into to the story in more detail. I'm just, we're just trying to paint the picture sure. for people. Um, so were, were you in communication with any other sites um, and did you express any sort of concerns to them? And then we'll delve into the, the, the serious deets. So other sites. So in total in the United States, there were 131 clinical trial sites that, that were enrolling patients into the study. They were looking for a total of around 44,000 patients to, you know, um, enroll into this phase of their clinical trial. Uh, okay. Worldwide or globally, there were 153 clinical trial sites. My company was responsible for three of those trial sites. I was overseeing two of those, two of the three with Ventavia. So, no, but, but to answer your question, no, I never had any contact with sites outside of Ventavia Research Group. And was that, or was that, you know, done intentionally or was it, was it difficult to communicate with these other sites or did you just have your hands full with? Oh, that's not typically how, how these clinical trials are, are you know, work. Um, right. you know, research, unfortunately, is a, a small uh, community. I do know other 
you know, coordinators and other research staff at different sites, but there, there's really no um, site to site communication during a trial unless, you know, I mean, it's happened before, but it's not, it's not the standard, but no, I never spoke with anybody in any other sites other than mine. So it almost, it's almost, okay. That would make, make their kind of, um, how can I put this in a way that doesn't sound too crazy? So, okay, so uh, I would say their agenda, but you know, if you've got sites that don't necessarily communicate within with each other uh, mm-hmm. during trials like that, it'd be quite easy for them to to do what they were doing, I suppose, and not have a worry that um, that information is going to be spilled to other sites and then obviously maybe contaminate the trial. Um, okay, so so tell us tell us from the beginning then, if you can, what it was that you you know you sort of first started noticing, and then you know how things kind of progressed from there, if that's all right. Sure. <clears throat> when I, I guess it, it started before I even stepped foot in into the clinical trial site. And it's a, it was a small site, uh, you know, imagine a doctor's office, a, a primary care physician's office, for example, five exam rooms, one little lab draw station, one, you know, uh, restroom for staff, and then, you know, for example, the the public restrooms or the patient restrooms were out in the pavilion. So we were a we were an office inside a medical pavilion. So there was, you know, five different floors with different doctors' offices throughout this building. We rented Ventavia rented just an office within this medical pavilion and and basically called it a clinic. There was no. Um, physician or doctor or PA or anybody that was assigned to this clinic. It was just really a space for clinical research trial patients to be seen. So sorry to interrupt there. Okay. So how would it work from, so are are all the people recruited prior to the trial starting and then you just, you get given the samples and then just start the, the testing. Is that kind of how it generally works? That's, that's exactly how it works. So Ventavia that call themselves a contract research organization. I would consider them more of what we what we in the industry call a site management organization. So Ventavia has been um, in business and, and um, doing clinical research for a little over 10 years. So they've built some really strong relationships with Big Pharma and other organizations. So their their job really is to to negotiate a contract with the pharmaceutical company. And then they provide the principal investigator, the study doctor that would oversee every aspect of the clinical trial at at that particular location. And then Ventavia will hire the clinical research staff. So there's no real like, um, you know, formal relationship. It would be a contract between Pfizer, for example, and Ventavia or Icon. And then Ventavia will third-party contract with the study doctor that will be overseeing the trial. Okay. And and forgive my ignorance here as no, well. it's okay. So, it's okay. What sort of stuff is it? You'd, so you'd be sent samples from patients or participants? participants of the trial i know sometimes i call them subjects too and i don't really like that because it just (laughs) sounds like they're after or something it's a little bit too like you know these people are real Um, yes they are they are very real and so i guess an easier way to explain so when the clinical trial starts 
We have a study doctor that's assigned to, to oversee the protocol. And then you have the research staff that's going to, you know, help to manage these patients' activities throughout their journey in the trial. Um, there was a, a marketing department that Ventavia used or we had. So when the study started, we started to blast out, you know, press releases, start the recruiting process, you know, and with everything that was going on in the world, you know, we were experiencing a, a pandemic. There were, were deaths and we people were afraid. And we were told that this vaccine is going to be the best tool in the toolbox to end this pandemic. We need it to prevent infection. We need it to stop transmission. And everybody needs to do their part and get this vaccine the moment that it's approved. So this was the, the, what was pushed out to everybody across the globe. And so <clears throat> the recruitment begins and patients are interested. They want to help. We, uh, science uh, and research is very favorable in the area where we were recruiting. People want to do their part. And so they started to uh, enroll into the study. So Pfizer has a protocol that we as researchers follow. It's our guide, our step-by-step -step guide on how patients are to be enrolled and followed and you know through the entire study. So for example, on day one, a patient would come in and, and do what we call a screening visit. So we would take their medical history, their surgical history. Uh, we, we need to know what medications they were on. When did they start that? What's the dose? How often do they take it? So it's an in-depth interview of the patient's current and, and previous medical history, et cetera. And then we can compare that to Pfizer's protocol and, and determine, okay, based on Pfizer's protocol and their inclusion criteria and their exclusion criteria, does this patient meet that? There's physical exam that's involved. There's, you know, height, weight, blood pressure. I mean, this is, you know, clinical research is, I love it. It's fine. This has been where I've spent my entire career. I've been a clinical trial participant. Science was and, and gave me the opportunity to become a mother. I participated in a clinical research study on uh, assisted reproductive technology and did in vitro fertilization to have my own children. So I just, I love research and, you know, it's just, it's just been my, my love, my, my career, what I've devoted my entire, my entire life to really. Um, so back to, back to the patient. So it's really just, you know, an, an in-depth interview, making sure that patients are eligible. And then once they're eligible based on, you know, following this protocol, then they're enrolled into the study. So at day one, they get their vaccine. There's other steps and procedures that have to be followed right after that. And then we see them again on day 19 through 23. They get their second vaccine. And then there's steps that we follow until, you know, we see them at their next visit. So again, it is a step, uh, uh, you know, a step in, to be followed in a stepwise manner. And that is not something that my company, my company did. They did not follow procedures. They did not follow guidelines. They did not follow Pfizer's protocol. They did not follow the law.
And I, I started to notice this right away on day one. Okay, so just to backtrack ever so slightly before we start getting into the juicy bits, were you injecting patients on site or subjects or participants, people? Yes. yes. So you guys were doing that. So, so was it the scientists that were doing that? Um, or did you have medical people come on site for the days that the, uh, the people turned up and then injected them on site? Yeah, so we had um, initially, I can't, I can't remember exactly, it was like four or five clinical research coordinators. So the coordinators are really like your, um, you know, your nurses or your medical assistants. Imagine them uh, um, in, in that role. So they would, you know, room the patient, they would get the patient ready for their physical exam, take the vitals. Um, you know, and record all that initial initial data. Then the physician or principal investigator would step in and do those physical exams, determine eligibility. Yes, this patient does meet this criteria and is, you know, eligible to, to move on. And um, to answer your question, no, that was one of the problems with, with Ventavia. We were severely understaffed. The number of patients that they were running through this clinic on any given day, because it wasn't just Pfizer's vaccine study that we were recruiting and following patients and studies for. We were enrolling in other trials, um, an RSV clinical trial, in a pneumonia trial. We were in a pneumonia vaccine trial. Vaccines were Ventavia's what we call like bread and butter. So that's what brought in the, the money and the revenue for, for Ventavia Research Group or vaccine trials. So they have a very special relationship with these pharmaceutical companies who, who specialize in, in vaccine and, and this type of technology. Okay. <clears throat> so where the participants being told about the possible adverse reactions whilst being injected and if so which ones within reason and did you see anything serious happen on site as well so because we were so understaffed they they were bringing uh, employees from other locations and having them help with and, and manage these patients uh, none of the research staff were registered nurses. We had a couple of certified medical assistants, but nobody with a, a license. Um, you know, that was one of my findings very early on is, you know, when I'm when I'm going through Ventavia's own standard operating procedures, I I, I was looking at our, our SOP for emergency medications and the storage of those medications. And when I went through our, what we call a crash cart or where our emergency medications yeah. are stored, we had no epinephrine, none, none in the cart. And our Benadryl was expired. So that was a problem right away. I took that. I mean, that was an immediate thing, you know, that I, that I took directly to the, the, man, the owners of the company. And I said, we've got to get this emergency medication crash cart restocked and filled with the appropriate medications. Here's a list. And that is something we need to do right away. We're injecting patients with a novel technology. There's potential for anaphylaxis or, you know, a, an adverse event where we would need to use this, this, these products and we don't even have them in stock. 
That so that was that was one of the actually you know I would say in the first couple of days um, something that that I found um, and and brought to to their attention, but so basic life support. The staff that were on these trials, some of them, I would say more than half, did not even have a basic life support certification. So that was something else. So eventually, like that was one of you know the things that I took to, to the owners. And eventually we were able to get a, a class set up. So I, I know that um, hopefully, hopefully most of them, you know, were able to obtain that certification. But that's, you know, th th this is what we call sloppy research, you know, period. But but it also affects these patients' safety and their welfare. And not, not just that, but the rights of these patients. You know, I, I would not enroll in a clinical trial if I knew half of the things that Ventavia was doing. I mean, it was just, it was dangerous. And I, I you know, Looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you know, it took me eighteen days to report finally to the you know um, Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. But I, I wish I would have done it sooner. Um, but th those are just a couple of my findings with the the research staff. Again, the the trial was designed to be what we call um, uh, blinded. So there was one one staff member at the clinics that were to be unblinded. Everybody else, including the patients, were to be blinded. And that's so not to inject a bias into the trial when, you know, patients are reporting symptoms or when physicians are assessing illness, et cetera. So the one person at our site, at one of my sites, was, uh, she had a dual role in Ventavia. So she was our receptionist, but she was also our unblinded vaccinator. So this employee would prepare the vaccine and she would also inject the vaccine. When I was introducing myself to the staff and just, you know, getting to know them and allowing them to get to know me, I was looking and, and I pulled her resume so I could sit down and speak with her. And I, I noticed on her resume or what we call a CV that she had no medical experience at all. Zero. She was she was a young lady, but her two previous positions prior to coming to Ventavia were were at a retail store. So she was a lead cashier at like a clothing store or something. And then her her mo her most recent position prior to coming to my former company was at a taco restaurant. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked and I, 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 you know, took this finding right away. Why is this untrained person injecting our patients? How are you ensuring that she's giving the appropriate dose? Who, who is overseeing her? Who was, who was overseeing her? That is a good question. I mean, was she told to do that by the, the owners or so? Sorry, yes. Yes. I said you loads of questions there. So, so with your position, were there people under you that were responsible for liaising back with you with what was going on? Yeah, so I was I was a regional director. So other than, you know, at my site on the day to day, who would be above me would be the principal investigator. He was rarely on site. I, I met the man twice. 
So under me would have been the site operation managers and then the research staff, research assistants. So that's a, that's a great question. The site operation manager was, was not in a position to, you know, make, make these decisions to ensure that she had training on, um, you know, the, the protocol itself or how to administer these, these vaccines. This would have been the responsibility of the principal investigator. And again, I met, I met him, I saw him twice. Now I came in, you know, in, in uh, September, the study started in July. So maybe she had training, but still, I mean, it, it, it is, um, that is the type of, of research staff that Ventavia was hiring. They were just in a hurry to start the study for every patient they enrolled into the trial. They were paid uh, mainly on a per patient basis. And in my experience, I never saw a budget for, for Ventavia, but I imagine um, that these, this company was getting about seven to $10,000 per patient that they enrolled into the study. Wow. Yeah. So Ventavia made, made millions and millions of dollars from, from their participation. Okay. So for those of us that are wondering, we, we obviously have very, very strong feelings towards Pfizer and the clinical trials. So let's, um, are you warmed up? You ready? Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Yeah. So, Let's 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 delve into. Obviously, we've just touched on briefly a, a few of the things that you started noticing mm -hmm. straight off the bat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just start from the beginning then and, and go into it however deep you want to as to as to the events that then unfolded, um, which will then put us up to the point where you casually just dropped in conversation that you were suing Pfizer. I'm <laughs> sure everybody was like, "What?" So uh, so we need to paint the picture and and you know get everyone up to speed as to uh, how you got to that point. So on September 8th of, of 2020, again, this is during their clinical trials. This is before any of their product was approved by any, you know, regulatory authority, FDA, Health Canada, TGA, MHRA, <laughs> before anything was approved. We're running these clinical trials. In, in my company, it wasn't just that they were doing sloppy research. It was problems that I was finding that I eventually came to know were material. They were used to approve this vaccine. Patients in the trials at Ventavia I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think back, you know, where, where, where do I really want to start? Um, the, I think the best thing for, cause obviously you're talking to an English crowd. All right. I so know. I, know, I know with America, obviously there, everyone's aware of Pfizer, the advertising and, and it, it, everyone's relationship with big pharma in America is very, very different in England. Yeah. We just have a relationship with the NHS. The big pharma is, is almost hidden behind the facade of the NHS. So Right. Um, when we still say to people that the, 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 the jab was in its clinical trials while it was being rolled out, people would vehemently say, no, no, it's not. And you'd be like, no, 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 it is. Um, so so that's where we are with people in, in, in England, knowing who Pfizer is and, and sort of big pharma. So I think the best thing to, 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 to start would be is to um, let's just slate Pfizer as best we can, really, shall we? No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, but just to explain to people, really, what it was that got your um, the spider senses tingling and then, obviously, their reaction. So it, it was day one, that, that date I told you, September 8th of 2020, when I'm 
<clears throat> again, introducing myself to, to my staff, I asked one of them, is it okay if I just shadow you? I wanted to get a feel for how the clinic was running, um, you know, our ensured that we're following our own procedures and, you know, those, those operations. So I followed her into an exam room when she was giving informed consent to a patient. And in clinical research, and really in any, you know, a surgery, a, a, you know, a general surgery, informed consent is the most important thing. You can probably attest to this too. Without informed consent, you're not able to make a fully informed healthcare decision, whether it's, again, a surgery or it's participating in a clinical trial. When I watched her give this informed consent, it was a, a, a long uh, form. It's a 30-page document of information about Pfizer's vaccine. What are the risks of participating in the study? What are the risks of getting this vaccine? Are there any benefits? What is the patient's obligation during this clinical trial? What days do they have to come to the clinic? What happens if they get sick? I mean, this document is just, it's, it's very informative and it's something that we would go over with the patient, every single patient, in, in as much detail as, as the patient needed. The patient needed to be allowed to ask any questions that they wanted, to have that explained to them by an actual physician or doctor that's involved in the trial. But what this informed consent was, was a really quick, we know that you want to participate in the study. You're afraid. You're, you're, you want to help science. Come in here, sign this document, and let's get you vaccinated. So really quick overview of the trial and sign date. That is not how it works in research. Again, the informed consent process is a process. It's not just a moment where you sign and date an informed consent. It's an ongoing process throughout the entire study. And then, then in research, we have what are called good documentation practices. So we document that, that interaction and that, that informed consent process with the patients. It has to be documented. What questions were asked? What were what were the researchers' response to those questions? So where this where this informed consent should have taken, you know, an hour plus, depending on you know the patient's responses and questions, etc. This was just really quick, signed date, and I had to step in. So the first thing I noticed was was lack of informed consent. Now this is beyond the 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 size of the clinic, the the lack of staff. That was the first thing. Lack of informed consent. As the days kind of progressed, and again, I was only there 18 days total, but part of my job responsibility was to look through the data, every single chart. I was 100% audit ready. So ensuring that the data was collected appropriately, that we were following protocols, you know, Every I's dotted, every T is crossed. And as I'm starting to go through this clinical trial data, <clears throat> I'm noticing and I'm looking at, you know, at the time when I was there, we had, we had consented approximately 1,200 people. So I'm going through 1,200 individual paper charts. So in research, there's, there's no standard in the United States. Some clinical trial sites will record their patient data on paper, some record it electronically, like on a tablet, et cetera. 
Ventavia collected everything on paper. So I have 1,200 individual paper charts that I'm going through that include a paper informed consent, that include a paper, um, you know, source for the physical exam. So I'm going through all of this and I'm, I'm finding that, you know, in, in some instances we were missing vital signs. We were missing just crucial data points and I'm flagging these. Okay. I'm flagging every single one of them. And I'm in the clinic for 12, 14, 16 hours a day at this point, because I'm just, you know, I know how important this data was. We were going to use this data to approve a vaccine that was going to go to the entire world. So it was my job to make sure that this, this data was collected perfectly. And if not, then there are steps and procedures to follow. There are regulations. There are oversight committees. There's your sponsor. There, there are, um, if there's something that's found, you know, a, a, um, a deviation from the protocol, there is a way to report that so that it is managed and handled appropriately. And Ventavia Research Group did not want to do that. They did not want to follow the protocol. They did not want to follow the you know, codes of federal regulations that govern research. They were just interested in the buck, period. Some of the other things that I found were not reporting adverse events, and that's including those that were serious. We were so understaffed where, again, we had those five research coordinators. We needed 15 to manage how many patients were enrolled in the trial and how many reports of adverse events and serious adverse events that we were that were coming in. Our mailbox, our voice mailboxes were full. Patients were scrambling to get a hold of the clinic, finally, desperately reaching out to Pfizer directly to ask, how do I get in touch with this clinical trial site? I have a problem, I need to report it, and I can't even get a hold of the study doctor in this trial. They gave me a phone number to call if I'm having a problem. I'm having a problem and I can't get in touch with them. So many things, the, the um, adverse event reporting not being handled appropriately, not timely reporting, not reporting at all, <clears throat> mixing up lab specimens. They were so busy, so, um, you know, seeing so many patients in a day, the laboratory technician couldn't even handle, you know, um, labeling the the draw tubes and processing these labs and shipping these labs the way that the protocol defined. Um, not testing patients that were symptomatic of COVID-19 during their participation. We didn't even have enough swabs to test these patients that were symptomatic of COVID, which, you know, speaks to Pfizer's own efficacy. You know, we, we, how are you, how can you say that this is working when we can't even test the patients that are sick? Every, not everything. Most of what I reported was used in a way that, you know, I, I mean, this data cannot be trusted from this company. And finally on, on the 18th, day after I after I found that Ventavia inadvertently unblinded every single clinical trial patient in the study 
which again, we talked about the bias that that can inject. And per Pfizer's own protocol, if a patient is inadvertently unblinded, meaning that they find out or a study staff that wasn't supposed to know finds out that a patient received a vaccine or they received the placebo um, as part of their participation, stop enrolling in the study and immediately contact Pfizer. When we, when we found that this was occurring, that unblinding was occurring, my company called every one of the sites or asked the regional directors to call the sites, there were three of them, and remove this document from the patient's chart and shred it, get rid of the evidence, and no one is to tell Pfizer that this happened. Pfizer needs to know that we are in the perfect place, that we are doing everything that we're supposed to do, that this little break in enrollment to, to clean up this data is because we're just, we've met our bandwidth. That's what we were told to, to tell Pfizer if they were to call the sites directly. And then the, the, the monitoring of the product's uh, temperature for months, both of the sites that I was overseeing did not monitor the temperature of this product. And if you remember back, initially the product was to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius. That's ultra cold and required to maintain this product's stability. I've been asked quite frequently, well, what happens if it goes outside of that required temperature? That's a great question, but it's, it's not one that I'm going to answer. But I'll tell you that there's a reason that it's, that it's required to be stored at that and could have potentially affected this product's stability. Does that lead to additional harms, adverse events? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's beyond my scope. But the, the, those were just a few of the problems that, that you know, are on the top of my head right now. Just awful. And I decided on, on the 18th day that I, was, that I was there that since my company wasn't doing anything about the problems that I was reporting, you know, they got so tired of hearing from me. They eventually told me to just start putting everything on a list. So that's what I started to do. I started to document and put everything that I was finding on a list. And I contacted Pfizer, although I did that anonymously and alerted them to what was going on at these clinical trial sites, even though they were aware of a lot of them. They knew that there were problems with the data. There were glaring red flags all over the place. I, I contacted the, the FDA on that 18th day, the morning of the 25th of September of 2020. I made a call and I spoke to somebody at um, the, the FDA and I was directed to file a, a written complaint and send it to um, their email. And so I did this. My, my son was actually, he had strep throat and we were in the doctor's office. And while we were waiting to see the doctor, I wrote up this formal complaint. And, you know, I'll never forget the very first sentence in this complaint was, it is without hesitation that I notify you of patient safety concerns that I have, told him who I was, gave him a little bit of background, 
and listed out, if I'm remembering correctly, 14 different findings that I had. And again, this is just, you know, in a doctor's office with my son, writing this complaint to the FDA. There was more. I have more findings, but it was just at the moment. But 14 different things that, you know, were concerning for me, a 20-year expert. And what happened next? I just, I still, you know, I I still, I'm still not over. I've never had any kind of negative disciplinary action in in my entire career. You know, um, of course you have those reviews that are, Hey, you can improve here. You can improve there, but I've never been fired. You know, I've always, um, I've worked my way up very quickly in, in research, you know, starting out just being a coordinator to, you know, a, a director of operations for a very similar company and then wanting to scale back. So I took this job as a regional director. But about six hours after I pressed the send button on that email to the US FDA, Ventavia called me and they terminated my position effective immediately and under the pretext that I was not a good fit for their company. Matt, would you like to speak now? No, no, no I'm just, I mean, no, 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 because we're just getting to the, to the juicy bit, but it's, um, I think everyone just needs to kind of hear how it was because it's all right people saying, I read something somewhere or I saw a message from my sister's best friend's neighbor's dog's cat saying that this happened. And, you know, so when I first heard your story on, uh, on the other podcast, um, over in the States, uh, broaden your horizon folks. There are loads of podcasts and stuff out there that you can listen to. You just got to find them. Um, I, I think it's all right having documents and things, but, and for some reason as well with the, with the show I've got here, I, I do have doctors on and, and, and stuff as well. Obviously I try and vary the guests, but I, I always try and boots on the ground people, man, people that actually saw stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I heard your story, I was very much like, now nah, you were there, ma'am. So yes, I was. That, that, that was why I wanted to get you on because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I know people can still say what they want to say, but it's like, nah, man, it's better than someone that, that knew someone that was there. You were actually physically there. Um, so just going back briefly then. So the adverse reaction, did you see, obviously there are I mean, you're not going to physically see the adverse reactions because they're probably going to take it and then go off the premises, but were there reports? So when you say serious adverse reactions, do we know what they were? Any deaths? Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay, so this company was so I don't even know. I can't even find the adjective to describe them anymore. Just heathens. Yes. (laughs) They were just so irresponsible with these with these patients. And like I said, you know, sometimes, you know, when I'm when I'm speaking research, I'll call them subjects. But these are people I have been or I have been a subject. I live by the golden rule and that's to treat people how I want to be treated. And they just, I I just don't understand how money can be so powerful and enough to make you have no regard for human life whatsoever. You know, they were, you know, also enrolling patients without testing if they were pregnant or not. And this was something that we needed to make sure these pa- these women were not pregnant, that they were not planning to become pregnant, that their partners 
were and and had a you know an appropriate form of birth control to prevent pregnancy we didn't know at the moment what this product would do to a fetus or an unborn baby so that that was one thing that just just makes me so angry it is not difficult to get a urine specimen from a patient and do a pregnancy test it was just imagine i mean i guess like just to paint the picture like papers just flying everywhere and 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 that's exactly what it was like just chaos um there was another person at ventavia that came forward that described it as helter skelter and, and I think that's, a, that's, that's fitting. I mean, it was just madness how this trial was, how, how it was being run. So not, normally then in your experience, if there is a death during a clinical trial, what would, what would normally happen? As soon as the clinical trial staff are made aware of a death in a patient that's in a trial, immediate, well, not immediately it should be done, but we have the, the 24 hour clock starts. We have 24 hours to report that to the uh, sponsor of a trial. So in this case, Pfizer should have been made aware right away. And we have that same amount of time to report that to the institutional review board. Now this is, um, a, or what sometimes you'll hear referred to as an ethics committee. So they're an independent body that's overseeing these these patients' rights, safety, and welfare as well. So that would have been a, a report that that needed to go to them right away too. And then it's up to Pfizer, you know, to what? How many reports of death have have um, have they received? What was the cause of death? You know, was this a, a tragic ac- car accident that you know you know has no causal uh, relation? Uh, you know, uh, to the the vaccine, or you know, was this a heart attack? The mm-hmm. patient have a heart attack? Did they? You know, I mean, there there there's so much information that that you have to collect during during this time. Um, we would ask for hospital records. You know, was the patient hospitalized? Did they just pass away in in their sleep? Like, what is the serious adverse event? And what are you? Um, what is the relationship to the vaccine. And that's something the relationship or causality is determined by the study doctor at each individual site. And that is really, you know, when you, when you think about it, um, you know, for this particular study, it, it could have been, let's just say, um, let's just say motor vehicle accident. You have a motor vehicle accident, the patient dies. So death is the adverse event or it's the serious adverse event. Then the investigator will, you know, review uh, all the documents associated with, with that accident and, and make a determination on relationship to the injection. Was it related to this vaccination? We know based on the records that this was a motor vehicle accident, you know, um, you know drunk driver hits this patient, patient, patient dies. Serious adverse event is death. Was it related so it could be not related, possibly related, probably related, or, or, or related. So there are options that the investigators have when determining relationship. 
we know that a drunk driver hit this patient. He died. So we were obviously unrelated. But what I'm finding and in, in a lot of what I'm reviewing, um, you know, since, since I've been gone and other patients who've had these types of events, you know, their relationship should, should be <clears throat> possible, probable, unlikely. I, I don't know, but it's, it's what I'm seeing is that it's not, you know, they're, they're, it's not correlating appropriately. You know, they're not even asking the question. They're just making a determination. No, it's not related. When certainly it could be, shouldn't it be possibly unlikely, but maybe, I mean, that's just what I'm seeing. That's just my kind of. So if it was found to have been a direct cause then of the vaccine or the drug that you were given at the time, you know, would it then be the child be terminated or what? Is there like a a threshold or a procedure Mm -hmm. that if someone dies in a clinical trial, how many die? You know, what, what kind of. For those of us that don't aren't aware, basically, what what's the sort of yeah. SOP? So part of part of this design, the protocol, um, Pfizer had an inde- an independent data safety monitoring board that reviewed these types of adverse events, and it was really up to this data safety monitoring board. We call them a DSMB to make the determination on when a clinical trial. Is, is stopped. There's sometimes stopping rules. Um, but, but yes, I mean, uh, you know, there, there are procedures and standards that, that they follow when, when making these types of determinations, whether to pause, you know, a, a clinical trial, they obviously did not do that. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's always been kind of a concern. Have you, have you known, have you, well, yeah. Have you known of any clinical trials being stopped in the past? For, for similar sort of things. Sure, absolutely. Right, so we know that it can happen then. We know that if there are deaths reported, they will stop the trial, essentially. Yes. Okay, I think that's, that's what I was trying to kind of get at, really, so people know that, you know, there is there is people, you know. But then the, the clinical trial teams and everything would normally report, report back to them. I just didn't, because it, it sounds like they, they have carte blanche to do what they like, and it's up to them whether they decide to stop it, depending on how many people die, and, you know, which sounds even more frightening. Um, to be honest with you. So, um, and something that, that your audience may not know too is, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the collect, the collection of the data where some of, you know, my site collected everything on paper. And then what we do with that data is we manually transcribe every patient. And this is on, you know, everyone. We manually transcribe that patient's data and how they're doing in the trial into Pfizer's database. It's an electronic database. So we type this information, this data, blood pressure 120 over 80, we, we, we recorded that. Then we take it over to Pfizer's uh, database and we, we type it in there. And so everything's manually transcribed. And then there is a process where and we call it monitoring or, or data cleaning. It's a common terminology used in my industry where we have to make sure that what's, or or this would have been ICON's responsibility and Pfizer's responsibility to make sure what's entered into their database is actually what was recorded on paper at the clinical trial site. So that that process is is something that happens throughout the clinical trial. If there's an error that's found in what was recorded versus what was entered into the system, then 
that gets corrected and there's an audit trail. But what, what is fascinating, I think, um, and something that I would like to see change uh, eventually is that, and for the FDA, the FDA never sees the data that's collected on paper from the clinical trial sites. They never see that individual patient data, that raw data. They only receive that finalized data that a sponsor gives to them. That's what they use to make their determination about whether or not to approve a product is, is based on the sponsor's information. It's on their own website. They will never see the actual data. And I'm not saying that what, you know, in every case, what's reported in Pfizer's database is not the actual data. But I know for Ventavia that the data collected on these source documents is not the data that's entered into these forms. I, I've looked at it. I've seen it. I have copies of the original and it doesn't match. And the FDA knows this. And they still have not stepped foot into that company. And Pfizer is rewarding <clears throat> this behavior by giving them additional contracts and studies to run. And our children and our babies and our elderly, and again, not just uh, for, for this vaccine technology, for others and RSV and pneumonia, cytomegalovirus, CMV, uh, C. diff, baby formula trials. I mean, this, this company is endangering the lives of people. Crikey's truth. Um, okay, so are there, and I'm, I'm sorry to ask such, such pinnicky questions, but okay. <clears throat> I just think these are questions that I'd want to know the, that I want yeah. to know the answer to. Are there usually many deaths in clinical trials as a whole? I would say my 20 years, and I, again, I mean, I've done so many stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how many trials I've worked on, hundreds of clinical trials. I've seen five deaths. And the majority, the majority of, of those have been in my my patients that were um that were transplant patients. Right. Okay. So the risk is already very high for them, unfortunately, anyway. Right. right. And one one uh one actual uh um uh, it was a drug eluding stent trial that I was working on cardiology study and, and the patient, um, the patient did die in the trial. Okay. So do you, how many deaths were there in your clinical trial for your company for the Pfizer faith phase three? Do you know? Oh, no, but I could get that information and email it to you. That'd be good. Cause I think it just gives people a general comparison here because mm -hmm. you know, there are talks that, the previous MERS jab caused um, some children to get narcolepsy and then they stopped the trial. There's been talks of other clinical trials where there's been a few people die and then they've stopped it. When we tell people that there are, I think it was 1,200 in the actual Pfizer trial out of the 44,000 that actually died in the trials, people it's don't 1, believe 1,223, I'll never forget that number. There we go. So, so <laughs> that's already quite high. Safe and effective, folks. Um, so, so it's just I just want people to know that the, the figures that have been getting thrown around for the last couple of years with things 
are are true you know they are the right sort of stuff but it just takes a while for it to filter down to people because it's mm -hmm. not it's not said by someone in a white coat it's said by a censored doctor which automatically puts everything on the back foot which is unfortunate um but yeah if you could get that that'd be that'd be great but we're probably going to know that it's going to be more than five right i mean that was five over a 20-year period you, you you were saying so even if it was two or three we're still looking at more yes yes from a law of average you know i'm no mathematician mm -hmm. but me either. Um, <laughs> no, so maths was never a strong point. But you know, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying not to be too heavily biased. I just want it the, the, the kind of facts and to speak for themselves as best they can. Okay, so it only took six hours from you putting in the initial complaint to then getting um, politely asked to leave because you're not a great fit. So that's a pretty fast turnaround, isn't it? To go from Pfizer straight. But so, did you put the complaint into Pfizer direct or or did to your your company? Sorry, I think you said Pfizer, didn't you? Oh, I, I, I was very vocal, and I'm not I'm not shy when it comes to you know the safety of the patients that are participating in, in these trials. They matter to me. They did not matter to Bentavia. They did not matter to Pfizer. They did not matter to Icon. They do not matter to the FDA. They do not matter to the Department of Justice. They do not matter, and and you know. I'm just, I'm so angry, but yeah, like six hours later, you know, I get, I get, what do you call it? Sacked. Sacked. Yeah. Yes. Terminated. Sacked. <laughs> yeah. That um, means something totally different in the United States, by the way. Oh yeah. Everything does. Everything does. We could do a whole podcast. Here, that means something different. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I think it's like your quarterback gets sacked in the game, doesn't he? Or something like that. <laughs> something, isn't it? I think. Yeah. But anyway, anyway yeah. yeah, we could do a whole podcast on just uh, the different meanings anyway. Let's we not should. talk about Let's not talk about Fanny, all right? Because that's uh, <laughs> it's so sick of everyone's gonna be like, oh. But uh, anyway, funny. Yeah. So, so after obviously after being politely asked to leave because you're not a great fit, which I I can all too sympathise with. With I'm actually I wasn't um, though. I wasn't a good fit. Well, I wasn't the right person to no no, to play no along you're right with, clearly with this yeah illegal and fraud period yeah. Maybe actually, funny, we they actually um, they actually called a, a meeting, and we were sent an invite from the one of the owners of the company, and the title of the meeting was Pfizer cleanup call, and I declined it because I was I just said I'm not I'm not going to, you know, be complicit in in your scheme to cover this up. I'm not doing it, and and I declined. I declined the call. But yeah, so six hours later, I get, you know, I get sacked. And, you know, over um, the next couple of days, so that was September 25th of 2020. And on the 29th of September of 2020, the FDA actually called me. And I spoke to an inspector with, um, the, uh, um, with the FDA. And her and I spoke. I mean, we spoke for a little over an hour and really my, my complaints, um, you know, my, my uh, conversation with her mirrored my written and formal complaint to the FDA. We were just able to go over, you know, those, those bullets in detail. You know, I felt like she was um, very attentive to what, what I was saying. You know, um, she asked very good questions and she was sympathetic to the fact that, you know, I just lost my job. I mean, I made the complaint on Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, she called me that following Tuesday and I was counting on my fingers. <laughs> um, so, you know, four days later on that Tuesday, she called and 
I've never heard from the FDA again. Never heard from them. So I, I, I knew this is just kind of what I was I was thinking at, at the time. You know, okay, I've made this complaint. I've lost my job, but okay, I, it'll I'll be fine. My family will be fine. We certainly are going to have to make some lifestyle changes. You know, Brooke can't just go shopping whenever she wants anymore. You know, until she finds a new job, but. <clears throat> we're going to be okay. Just, just focus on family for the, for the time, you know, my, I play volleyball, my kids play soccer and volleyball, beach volleyball. So, you know, it was just, a, 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 you know, and I'd been working so, so many hours and I was kind of like looking forward. I was like, okay, this is maybe a blessing in disguise. And then the approval came on December 11th of 2020 when you know, the FDA reviewed this um, application for Pfizer's products, and they received that initial emergency use authorization in people that are 16 and older. And then I learned that they used data from Ventavia in their safety analysis, in their efficacy analysis. And right there, I knew, okay, you based your decision based on fraudulent data that you knew about. You knew what was going on at Ventavia Research Group and you still chose to use their shitty data. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I say that? Yeah, you can swear. swear. Well, I just I just swear like a trooper, so I try not to. But yeah, you say what you want. They, they chose to use that data. And I was just, to be honest, just disappointed and angry. I was angry that, you know, you, I'm a 20, 20, again, 20 year. So I've spent in this industry, making sure that the data that comes from my sites is good. It's clean and can be used, you know, and then they, they just, it was kind of like a stab in the back, if, if you will, you know, mm. um, and that's when I decided after speaking to an attorney and actually and honestly going through a lot of the emails while I was employed at Ventavia that I just, I mean, I was getting hundreds of emails a day, you know, and at this point when you're new to the new to a job and you're, you're, you know, going through all that, that comes with being new. I just had to pick which emails were really just pressing and the others just would have to wait until I got, you know, got to that. So um, so I start going through these emails and I'm realizing it was a lot darker than, than what I'd even seen. What they were doing scared me. And so I spoke with an attorney and in January of 2021, so this was after, you know, they have first emergency use was given. And that's why I pursued this is because I knew that they'd approved this product that just based on the data that they used from Ventavia, they could not claim that their vaccine was safe. They could not claim that their vaccine was effective. And based on the use of that fraudulent fabricated data, their vaccine is misbranded. And so I filed a false claims act case 
And the type of, of case that this or type of lawsuit that this is, is one that's that can be brought by a private citizen, a relator. So that's myself on behalf of the United States of America and our citizens. So just to kind of, you know, uh, break that down a little bit, I brought a lawsuit against Pfizer, Ventavia, and Icon, all three involved in the clinical trial for, um, you know, on, on, for the United States. I knew about this. I'm bringing it on behalf. This, our tax dollars were used to uh, purchase these misbranded vaccines and I've won our money back. So I've, I filed that in January. I knew at the time that once the case is filed, that it goes under seal. So there was an order by the court for anyone aware of the filing to not, not disclose it. And that was ordered by the court. So from January, and they have an initial, the government has an initial 60 days to investigate my allegations. So they had until March of 2021 to do what the FDA failed to do, go to Ventavia, interview witnesses, talk to people at Ventavia, investigate. That's your job. Do it. And after that 60 days expired, the U.S. government requested an additional six months to investigate the allegations I made. I was furious. I was shocked that they had two months to look into this and had done nothing except kick the can down the road and ask for an additional six months to do nothing, which is eventually what I learned happened. And if you think back, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking back to, you know, the timeline of approvals and what happened from March of 2021 through the six months addition, additional time that they were given happened. What happened during that? You started giving this to our adolescents. You started to mandate this vaccine for our military and our healthcare workers, all, all the while knowing that there's this lawsuit that's that's alleging this product doesn't do what it says it does and isn't as safe as it says it is. So they allowed that to happen. They never investigated. So in September, do you have a question? No, I always have questions, but it's fine. No, don't worry. <laughs> so in September, so 60 days, requested a six-month extension. They were granted that six-month extension. That brings us to September of 2021. Think about everything that happened from December through September of 2021. So much. Millions of people got this vaccine that the United States government said was, was going to stop this. This is what we needed. It's safe. You won't get the virus if you take this. You won't spread the virus if you take this. It was all a lie. And I have the evidence. This is not a Brooke Jackson story. Okay. This is me narrating the story using the documents of Pfizer internal 
company records source from these sites. I mean, this is, this is not my story. I just brought forward the evidence and can tell you what I experienced. This is Pfizer's own data. Ventavia's data, not, not Brooks data. So what, so what happened after, I mean, we, 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 we would generally expect them to be kicking the can down the road. This, I've well, always I had didn't, the... I didn't, Matt. No, that's And call me naive and what, whatever, but I kind of, you know, too trusty, too trustworthy, you know? I mean, I kind of love that about myself, you know? Mm. I, I'm a very trusting person. And I to think a fault, they, they... maybe to a fault. No, 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 not at all. It's, it's never, it's never to, right. Humans by design, in my opinion, are, 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 are kind of um, naive to an extent because that's mm -hmm. what we like. We're, we're very loving. We're very caring. And, you know, usually it's only when you get hurt by, you know, or bitten by something like that, that you then change or try and be a bit more conscious of how you are. So by design, we're, we're nice anyway, I think, you know, regardless of whether you, you know, God gives you love and all this kind of, it doesn't matter about that. By design, I think humans naturally are just nice people. When you're horrible, you, it's learned behavior. I think that, that, you know, that you've obviously been, been shown or seen. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's part of the problem is that they relied on us being nice and wanting to do the right thing um, in the first place by just rolling up our sleeves and, and not really asking any questions because we, we trust the government. Why, why would they do anything like that to us? They're nice like we are. You well, know, I'm not and, so naive to think that there's not some, you know, um, shady stuff that goes on, that there's not, mm. you know, <sighs> corruption and collusion. I, I mean, I'm not that naive. I know it. But I guess I just, because I've, I've worked so hard in, in my time in research to make sure that I'm doing my part, the very, the very essence of, you know, research, where this data starts. These are patients, they're telling their story through, you know, and so then, then you pass on that data and then it's up to, you know, these regulatory agencies to determine whether or not it's, it's, it's safe, it's effective. But then to find out that they only rely on the pharmaceutical data that I know that was manufactured, I don't know. It's just been it's been a it's been a wild two years for me. I can imagine it's been a wild two years for it for all of us. But this is what <laughs> right. I mean. Everyone everyone's had a crazy different funfair ride in yes. in its own right. Everyone's roller coaster has been different. Um, but all we want to do is kind of get off it now. Um, so I take it then there's never been usually when the, the clinical trial data that you collected and hand to the to the people, there's never been this, um, I wouldn't say cover up, but it's never come out opposite than what you put in. Basically, usually they take a take on board the clinical advice. Oh, sorry, lots of questions. Then. If that was the case normally uh, on recommendation, then from your clinical advice uh, for your from your research, sorry, would they then go back to the drawing board and try and iron out those kinks or would they just ignore you? What what should have happened? Mm. is Pfizer should not have included any of the data from Ventavia. None of it. It's unreliable and, and you cannot use it. The data is fabricated. It's falsified. Lab samples were mixed up. You don't know if patient one is actually patient one. It could be patient 12. It was that chaotic. And I have the documents to show that. Pfizer knew these lab samples were mixed up. 
They knew we were not reporting serious adverse events. They knew we unblinded every patient inadvertently. And I don't believe that was on purpose, by the way. You know, I think it was something that, you know, it was a mistake that Ventavia made that should have excluded every single one of the patients. These things that I'm talking about are, are, you know, so vital to the overall outcome of the study that Pfizer should not have included that in their their analysis. And um, they, they did anyway. Was there any evidence then that the company, I know you were only there for 18 days. Was there any mm-hmm. evidence that they, they were kind of like that as a company? Yes, prior 100%. Prior? Absolutely. I can without a doubt say that every clinical trial that I've looked at and Pfizer isn't the only mRNA technology trial that they've participated in. They've participated in uh, Moderna, Moderna's trial. And I've seen that trial data. It looks just the same. Yeah, I mean, when, when we had the AstraZeneca over here in in, in Oxford, um, mm-hmm. in the UK, and when that trial data came out initially, I think, first of all, they'd only done it up to the age of 45, I think. So they were told to go away and do it to at least over 60s or over 65, mm-hmm. which they did really quick, uh, which makes you wonder, did they even do it at all? Uh, and then why would you do, uh, this is what I, I can't get me around, why would you do a clinical trial for a drug knowing that the most vulnerable group of people are going to be the elderly and only have it up to trial age of 45 or 44. Um, but that was because they only recruited people up to that age. So, so, so this is what I'm saying. You, 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 yeah. you know, like, hang on a minute. When you're doing a clinical trial, you need to do it all age groups. Um, as well, as many as you can. This is what people don't realize sometimes as well. It's difficult to recruit people, right, to, to do a clinical trial. Um so, and when we say to people, they had people that were generally well, they didn't have people with comorbidities and other bits and pieces, you know, in the trial data and everything else. So they didn't do mixed dosing. So when they say it's perfectly safe to have a Moderna and a Pfizer, there's never been any trials to show never. that. So, okay. so yeah. Um, so it's, it's- And that's only recommended now in the United States and some, you know, it depends on the, the population, whether or not those vaccines can and, and should be used interchangeably. Um, where initially, yeah. initially we were told it didn't, you know, there were, there were no, um, you know, again, kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, what's the word? Again, no, no guidelines. Like yeah. what, it doesn't matter what, what vaccine you got initially, like they can all be used interchangeably. That again, has, has since changed. Well, yeah, funny that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of our, some of, some people over here, they had the AstraZeneca as the first dose. And by the time we got around to them having the second um, or at least the third, AstraZeneca was no longer rolled out over here, so they couldn't have it anymore. So they had to then choose between uh, Moderna or Pfizer. We haven't got the Johnson and Johnson over here. Um, I don't think. Um, forgive me if we do, but I think our choices were just AstraZeneca, Moderna, and Pfizer. But I think Moderna's not being used that much over here either. So it's predominantly now just Pfizer. Uh, but they have done this. This we have apparently ruled uh, done the first Omicron and some other jab together as the well bivalent, the bivalent yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> it's like they just you know like when you're at a christmas party uh and they just put names in a hat and they just pull out random things you know it just seems to be like that's what they're doing is just pulling this data out the hat going because it's i've always said this right if, if you're not being stopped for for doing something naughty right and i say naughty loosely here you're going to keep doing it until someone tells you to stop doing it 
So Pfizer would probably like with, with your thing, they're like, right, it's small fish, maybe. It's, you know, let's just keep rolling everything out because I think personally they had from, from whoever it was, they had X amount of jabs to get out in X amount of arms. And that's all they cared about. Yes. It didn't matter because Moderna's since gone bust. We've had loads of MPs and our health secretary's been replaced and all sorts of stuff. So you can't help wondering their job was just to roll, shut the country down, mess it up and then get as many jabs into as many people's arms as they could. Um, and that and that's it. And because they seem to have left us unvaccinated alone for a little bit now, because I think it's too much energy, really. They need to concentrate on the ones that have had two or three jabs because they're they already have a, a hefty investment into it already. Um, for now, anyway, because obviously they can't have us running around being this, you know, insubordinate and free and the control group, can we? Um, so yeah. it's it's kind of interesting. Um all right, so so obviously all that will happen. So that's we're, st- we're still a year away, nearly from 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 today, aren't we? So once you put the, um, you know what, okay. So when you first told, did you speak to family about this sort of stuff first? I mean, what was it received like uh, when you when you were trying to sort of, you know? No, because you know I was ordered by the the court to not say anything. You couldn't say nothing, um, right? You know, I mean, obviously my. You know, I have two kids. They're young. They're young. They have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, at the time, like uh, eight, nine or nine and ten, I can't remember. But and and my husband, obviously, you know, knew, but mm-hmm. nobody else. I mean, I, I was not able to to talk about um, this this case, you know, but but still what I had to do was was sit back and and watch as, again, these were rolled out to our children as these were, you know, rolled out into our first responders, our healthcare workers, our police officers, our firemen, mandated for our military, I I had to sit back with that weight on my heart, knowing what I knew and not say a damn word about it. <clears throat> and so that was that was September of twenty one, when that that first six month extension was requested. And then they asked for another one and they were given. They did that on purpose then. Sorry to interrupt. Do you think they put like a gag order on you on purpose? No, it's, 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 it's the type of claim uh, or lawsuit that I filed, you know, and the reason that's done initially, and it makes sense um, is so to not tip off the defendants that you're investigating them. So I understand that, you know, I, I think, that's appropriate. It should it should be under seal. We don't want to tip Pfizer off that we're investigating them. We don't want to tip off Ventavia that we might be coming to their location to inspect their records, etc. Mm. But I mean, look look how quickly Operation Warp Speed came came, came to be. Mm. You can whip up an investigation just like that. Look at look at Cuomo. I mean, things yeah, if they really want to. If you really want, why would you not know that there's a false claims act case pending in the amount of $1.9 billion against a product that you want to use all over the world? Why would you not take those initial 60 days and go investigate? Yeah. Right? I mean, that is what that, 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 I mean, I'm just an average everyday person. That that's two, what's going through my head. I still think <laughs> yeah. they're either they're either being protected or they don't care. Yes. 
That 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 would be my if 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 you had some if you had your head in a guillotine uh, in something like that that would that had the potential to you know take the rug from under your feet and was legitimate and everything else, you would do everything you can to suppress that or stop it from happening, like you say, or investigate unless they don't care or or they know that it that they're protected, so it won't it won't go anywhere. Just go, just go look at. You will probably being the FDA and having you know these these experts. These experts, I am one. My eye is trained to see what it sees, but they they probably are better at it. You will probably find more than than I did, you know. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, that was just so so disappointing. And I've I've lost all faith in my industry. I don't, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I don't trust them anymore. And I'm mad at them for taking that away from me. I'm mad what for what has happened. But in, so in September, when they requested that second six-month extension, they were given it. And at that time, <clears throat> I have a new group of attorneys now, but my original attorney team, I, I sent an email, and I can't wait for all these emails to come out because the world's going to see really <clears throat> just how determined I was that people knew that this is how the clinical trials were run. I'm not saying at the, at the time, you know, don't get it or get it. I don't care. But you need to know how these clinical trials were run. And if this type of behavior and this type of data collection and record keeping and oversight by Pfizer happened here at a little site in Texas, where else do you think this happens? That was a question that I just wanted people to stop and ask themselves, wait, Pfizer knew that this data was crap and FDA knew this data was crap and they approved it anyways? What does that say? It should give pause. And that's what I was hoping for is just for, for, for patients at the, cause then, you know, I did know at the time, you know, you start hearing, you know, these reports and, you know, oh my gosh, myocarditis, pericarditis, you know, we're seeing it. Um, miscarriages. I mean, all this data, you know, starts to come in. And that's why you don't rush clinical research. You don't rush out products like this. You should have well, taken your time. Of course. You know, were you seeing, now, were you, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, sorry. Were you seeing myocarditis and, and, and similar sort of adverse reactions during your treatment? Yeah, okay. Obviously, yeah. I, 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 maybe not so much on, on the spontaneous abortions because obviously – well, you wouldn't know because they weren't checking to see if they're pre- Were there any reports of spontaneous abortions because they didn't check? Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, we're def- des- desperately trying to give them a bit of rope here, aren't we? You know what I mean? And it's, um, it's, they're no, right. She's, okay. And this is just, this is, I'm talking about just Ventavia. Yeah. One in Houston, Texas, one in Fort Worth, Texas, one in Keller, Texas. In a very small group of people, in total, in total, um, you know, there were about 1,000 of the patients overall that were used in um, uh, the, the overall study number. So, you know, there were, there were 1,500 plus that were screened to be in the study. Nine, about 1,000 of them made it through. <clears throat> okay. Right. So they, it may be small. That may be a very small number when you think about 
how many were actually enrolled in the trial. So only a thousand out of 44,000. I understand why people are like, eh, you know, just, it's just a thousand. What, what difference do her 1000 patients make when, you know, all these other people have, you know, been okay. What happened at my site? Just a handful of patients could have taken that 95% efficacy claim down to zero. Yeah. Yeah. But what a lot of people. Not effective and it's misbranded based on the data that they used from Ventavia Research Group. So the attorneys that I had at the time, you know, in September when when um, the U.S. Department of Justice requested an additional six months extension to keep this case under, you know, under the radar. Nobody needs to know about it. Don't tell anybody. Um. I'd been doing some just research on my own, some law review, and found a similar uh, case where uh, a whistleblower wanted to come forward with just the facts about the case that was under seal. Not reveal that there was a pending lawsuit, but just tell people about what, what her complaint was about. Tell the story. And so I thought, oh, gosh, why can't I do that? Why can't I warn people? Like, this is what what I saw. This is what happened. And I, I asked my attorney that question. I said, why, why can't I just tell the facts about this? People need to know how these trials were run. And I'll never, I, I still have the email. He said, if you go forward with your information about the study, if you reveal these facts, the government is going to come after you. And I don't like being told what to do or not do. You know, I'm very respectful of, of you know, law and our, our court system and I have respect for that. But I wasn't going to reveal that there was a case. I just wanted to talk about the facts. And that wasn't, that wasn't um, you know, something I was going to be told that I couldn't do, knowing that there was precedent set in other cases where, where someone was allowed to talk about the facts without revealing there was a case and everything was fine. So that's when I took my, uh, you know, uh, uh, documented evidence. And again, that's not my evidence. This is just what I'm brought forward from the companies to the British medical journal. And I did that in sep- actually in September, around the same time when he said, don't do it. Don't do this. The government's going to come after you. I said, let them come because people people deserve to know this. And that's when they, they um, you know, took that information that I, that I brought to them and peer reviewed it, the article that was written. And they published that on November 2nd, 2021 is when the, the BMJ article came out. Just writing it down so I can go because I was doing a lot of reading that that um what mm-hmm. name did you publish it under? Was it your normal name or was it published under an alias? No, it's my name. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the oh, the journalist oh. that wrote the article is Paul Thacker. Okay. And it's published peer-reviewed in the British Medical Journal. And what was your conversation like with the British Medical Journal? Because uh, they were kind of flip floppy throughout this whole thing. It was quite obvious <laughs> that there were editors with conflicting interests within 
BMJ. So it was it was very difficult to know what sort of side of the. F I know they got to try and remain impartial, but um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. difficult. What was your what, what were they like? What when you uh, approached them and gave them the evidence? Um, very receptive, very receptive, mm. and um, I think had the courage to to publish. You know. Um, this information that, that, that asks the question, you know, wh what is going on? Where's the FDA? Why are you failing? And again, it's not, it's not my story. This is, this is their story and this is their evidence. And I, I you know, immediately when that publication came well, not immediately, I think it was, you know, maybe a week later, they <clears throat> British medical journal, the story, which was, I think uh, the last time that I heard or, or looked, um, you know, based on the metric score that they use for, you know, how many times it's downloaded, cited, um, you know, et cetera, it's the second most um, cited article in the BMJ history. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But Facebook started to censor it. Um, you know, we were, we were, the article was slapped with a, a missing context label. It wasn't allowed to be shared. This uh, Facebook fact-checking website called the BMJ a blog. And, you know, like this is one of the most respected medical journals ever, you know, in, in history. Um, you know, I, I, do, I, do I agree with everything the BMJ says? No. But, you know, I mean, I, uh, I don't know. The, censor, the censoring started. Really? I've just got oh, sorry I was just looking I was, I've got it up here actually um so I, so so I can t put that in the um in the description yeah. which is um so they've been very supportive you know and again it's not supportive of me I, I just want to make that very this is not about me this is about Pfizer's documents Dentavia's documents okay so September, so we're in. We're into November twenty-one. So we're, we're we're closing in. So for the last seven, eight months, then what it's what has it been like for you now that the cat's out the bag to an extent, uh, and and you're in the spotlight, uh, well the government spotlight. How's how's things been? Tell people how joyous it's been for you. Joyous, yeah. So in the, you know, I guess you know back just to November of twenty twenty-one when that article was published. You know, this, the story started to finally gain, um, you know, a little, a little traction. It, I, 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 again, I think that this hasn't reached as many people as it, as it should, and I, I know why, but I, I still, that's why it doesn't matter. I, I will give a, a, an interview to anybody. I don't care how many followers you have, or you know, how many listen to your show on on the regular. This just is so important to me that people understand how these clinical trials were run. And, and again, just to maybe give pause, you know, um, if you're considering injecting your children with this, just, you know, do do some more research, understand how these trials were, were run and some that, you know, weren't even conducted that just given approval. Um, <clears throat> you know, and that, that, that takes us to, oh gosh, where, where were we? February of yeah, 2022 okay. is when I received the official notice from the United States Department of Justice that they were not going to get involved in this case. So they declined to intervene. I received a notice of declination um, in, in February of 2022. 
by the time that, um, actually if I back up just a little bit, once I went public with the, the information, I lost my attorneys. They immediately dropped, um, dropped me. I, I was left without representation and have since found, you know, a, a team of, of amazing attorneys. Um, so that leads us to 2020, uh, 2022 in February this year, USDOJ declined to intervene. At that point, that allowed me as the relator private citizen to move forward with the lawsuit on my own. So in February, we, I sued the same defendants, Ventavia, Pfizer, and, and Icon, for the same amount, $1.9 billion, and Again, on behalf of the United States government and our people. <clears throat> so that, that uh, again, was in February of 2022. And in April of 2022, all three of those defendants have motioned to dismiss the case. Their argument is that because the government was aware, the U.S. government was aware of the fraud that was occurring in these companies, that it's immaterial to payment. So because the government paid for the product anyway, despite the knowledge, the case should be dismissed. <clears throat> yeah, let that sink in for just a second. That's their argument. Pfizer's argument is the government knew they paid us anyway, so your case should be dismissed. So They're not arguing that what I brought forward isn't true. They're arguing, so what? Yeah, maybe, but they knew, the government knew, the DOD, the FDA, the DOJ, they all knew. So we're gonna, we're gonna ask that your case be dismissed. That's one of their arguments. Their second argument is that because the contract that was used to negotiate the purchase of these vaccines between Pfizer and the Department of Justice, or excuse me, the Department of Defense. So the contract is between Pfizer and the Department of Defense using a prototype agreement called an other transactions authority. This type of contract is usually used when negotiating bioweaponry. What does the Department of Defense know about vaccines? Nothing, but this contract was used to speed up the negotiation process. Within the terms of this other transactions authority or prototype contract for this prototype vaccine, it, it, it states Basically, that they don't have to follow, Pfizer does not have to follow any of the standard regulations that govern clinical research. We call them uh, codes of federal regulations. That wasn't a requirement in the contract. All that Pfizer was required to do based on this prototype contract with the Department of Defense was bring an approved product to market. And they got that emergency use authorization on the 11th of December, 2020, based on fraud. <clears throat> so two things, the United States government knew about the fraud. 
So dismiss our case. And the contract didn't require us to follow any of the rules. We didn't have to abide, you know, by these, these laws, these regulations. So dismiss our case. Wow. This is all like, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I am at the same time no, as well. I am. I'm shocked. And everybody should be, everybody here and across the pond hmm. should be shocked. Shocked. Yeah. That's their defense. <laughs> shocked, their defense. Okay. So, so where are we at now then? So that, that was their motion. They filed that motion in April of 2022. Um, and we had until uh, August 22nd, I believe, uh, to respond to their motion to dismiss. We responded and are now just waiting on their reply. So they motioned to dismiss. We responded to that motion to dismiss. Now they have a right to reply to our response to their motion to dismiss. And then, sorry, it's a little bit confusing. And then it'll go to the judge to decide uh, whether or not to dismiss this case or allow us to move forward with discovery. So it all depends on the judge. It does, yes. And you have no control of that, do you? No, no. And there's been. But some I've read. I've you know again. Here I go with like this. Just I'm just going to freely give you my trust and. And hope, you know, it's all, all I'm living on these days is just a little bit of hope. And um, I've, I've read the oath that this judge took when, when, when taking his, when taking his, uh, his chair. And I just have to, I just have to believe, you know, that if, that if he rules based on just law and just the facts that, that we brought forward, that we will win. And, you know, if we win, I have, I have since the very beginning, since January, since even before this, you know, if there is any successful recovery that comes from this $1.9 billion lawsuit against Pfizer, I've, I've, you know, I want to start a fund for the people that have been injured by this, this product. That's what I plan to do with any, any money that comes from a win. And um, that, that's that's where we are now. So I don't think that the, the uh, judge decision will come until that probably it was it September, the end of this year, early next year. So that'll be enough time for them to roll out a fifth booster. Oh, they're going to continue to do that. They're going to continue to do to get away with this for as for as long as as they can. What would be appropriate is, you know, and I don't know if, if your audience knows this either, but the FDA does not have the authority to recall this product. It's up to Pfizer to recall this product. And that's exactly what should be done immediately. They have an obligation. They have a just, <clears throat> it needs to be recalled. Yeah. I, I can't believe, I mean, we've never needed to know the intricate workings of <clears throat> trials and, you know, and all that kind of stuff before in any country, we've always just inherently relied on the fact that these people know what they're doing. Trust, like you say, but I say to people, Google the biggest fine 
for a pharmaceutical company in history and then Pfizer will be there. Yes. Uh, and then look at all the products that have been, um, you know, withdrawn and taken off the shelves. Predominantly, they're all Pfizer. So, you know, and, and so it's it's getting beyond the point now where, you know, we used to start a sentence with, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, whereas now you don't need to really say that. You can just say things like, you know, Pfizer, in the Pfizer trial, this many people died. So therefore, it's not as safe and effective as they say it is. Uh, whereas before, you'd get shunned for that. I mean, you probably will still get, you know, I mean, you cannot argue that. Hmm. Just forget about everything else. It's not safe. It's not effective. You said if we took this, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get COVID. Hmm. We wouldn't transmit COVID. And that, that's not true. But I can't understand why people are still lining up to take it. That's the thing that baffles me. Maybe, you, you, you know, for me once and all that, you know, maybe twice. But, but people still queuing up, you know, my family included. Well, because now, now, now it's changed, Matt. It's, it's not, you won't get it and, and you won't give it, but you're not going to be hospitalized. You know, you're not going to die. It's going to, it's going to prevent that serious illness and it's going to reduce the transmission. You won't, you won't transmit it as much. So it's just like the narrative keeps changing, you know? Um, so that's what, that's what I don't know. I mean, I think about, cause I don't, I don't watch TV, you know, occasionally I'll like turn on, you know, a football. Well, I turn on every football game, but, but I don't pay attention to, you know, the Fox or the CNN or, um, you know, the nightly news or local news. I just don't, we just don't watch that. Um, so I imagine that there are people out there that only do that, you know, that only watch TV and go out occasionally or, you know, take the recommendation of their primary care provider or what's being offered at their local health clinic. You know, and if, if all they hear is that you have to get you have to get this vaccine, it's going to save your life. You need it. I, I mean, I just have to have a, I have to find the grace in my heart to, to, to just step back a second and, and think about the people that just don't know, that just aren't paying attention. Listen, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I got, I got vaccinated against COVID with Moderna's vaccine. I thought that what I was finding and what I reported were specific to Pfizer. I wasn't looking at the mRNA technology. I was looking at what was going on in this clinical trial at the time and getting ready to file this, this big lawsuit. I wanted to get back into um, transplant hepatology and working in a hospital and, and patient facing. So I, I, I fell for it, hook, line and seeker. I thought I, I'm gonna have to, I have to get this. I'm not, a, I'm not a anti-vaxxer. I'm not, and I'm not afraid to say that. I think that vaccines are appropriate for some, not all. And I'm not, I'm not completely against them. That's not who I am. I've spent my entire career making sure that the data that I collect during a clinical trial at my sites, um, you know, I, I mean, this is what I've done. I've been a proponent of that. Um, but I know specifically for, for, for this product that, you know, it, it's misbranded. 
doesn't do what it says, and it's not as safe as they say it is. And we're seeing that in, you know, the real world evidence. Mm. Oh, golly gosh, Zanny is, is all I can <laughs> say. I knew this would be a good uh, good conversation. I just knew it, you know. Well, I, know, um, I don't even remember how we connected, Matt. Was it? Uh, I, I just sabotaged your inbox on Twitter like I normally do. I just burst into people's DMs and go, hey, you don't know me, but. Well, um, we talked on, you know, we talked and I don't know. I just, like I said, I, I'm I'm a people person. I love people. I am on Twitter quite a bit. Somehow I'm still there. I haven't been sentenced to Twitter jail. Yeah. I'm kind of, they kind of just let me say what I want. I say, I say quite a bit on there. I love to kind of poke the bear, if you will. Yeah. I keep losing uh, followers as well, which I can't, can't. I keep gaining five and lose ten. I mean, I haven't got a big account anyway, but but it's, when you've got the smaller accounts, you tend to notice it slightly more. But um, it's interesting that I keep losing followers every day. And everyone says, "Oh, they're the bots, the bots," but it's, it's a few hundred over a period of time. I'm sorry, that's just that's just not right. I um, you know, again, I'm a people person. I don't. I, I like to talk to people. I try to respond to every message that I get in my my um, inbox. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been hard. Yeah. See all this go, you know, happen and knowing what I know and just trying to use what I can, which is all I have. And that's, that's my voice, you know, um, to, to make people aware of, of what happened, um, during, during Pfizer's clinical trial, they could have avoided this. They could have very easily not included this, this fraudulent data in their Mm -hmm. analysis. And they did. And that just, that always makes me stop and wonder, I wonder why, why did, why did, you know, but, and I'll tell you, I think it's because they wanted to be first to market and they needed Ventavia's 1000 patients, no matter what. Moderna was right on their heels. Moderna got their emergency use authorization and approval on the 18th of December, 2020. Pfizer got theirs on the 11th. So Pfizer wanted to be first to market, no matter the cost. I mean, this, uh, if your case, I mean, I hope, I mean, the, the, the thing is now is, is, is it's like a bottle of pop or soda, right? You, like you know, Coke. Coke, yeah. Coke. Uh, like a bottle of Coke. Um, <laughs> and you, you shake it and then give it to your mate, uh, but don't tell him, you know, and then they open it and it's like, Psh. so yeah. this is kind of like what, what it, what it's like at the minute. There's this, there's this grenade that that's being passed around the pharmaceutical companies that people know if it goes off, it's going to undo everything and create such a black hole that everything's going to get sucked. I mean, there's no coming back from this because it will be the people, the unvaccinated world will just kind of be sitting there laughing, watching all the vaccinated people tear the place down because they'd be mm-hmm. so angry and rightly so. Yeah. Um, I just well, don't- I, I hope I don't like that. I don't, you know, I don't like, you know, when I read messages on Twitter that come to me, you know, making fun or poking fun at people that thought that they were doing um, their part to stop this. I I don't think that's appropriate. And it just adds to the, just, you know, just makes that the whole thing feel wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I don't know. I do know what you mean. And it's it's difficult Mm -hmm. not to create more, sort of division and different sides now as well. But I think, and unfortunately you do get it on both sides of the fence because that's just the nature of the beast with people. But I think, I think what I meant to say is, is the, is the people that kind of foresaw this coming, it would be our job to try and guide them through this 
inferior rage that they'll be feeling <laughs> because I don't, mm. I don't know how to, I don't know how I would feel if I was somebody that, and I think that's part of the problem. If you have taken, taken it and all this evidence is coming out that actually what you've taken, we have no idea really what it will do to your body. And if these people are generally feeling slightly different than they were beforehand, they'll know. Um, and then it's just a case of them being able to, they'll see it as admitting they were wrong, uh, which is part of the problem because it's not about admitting you were wrong because you were lied to and duped. So it's it's just accepting that that's what happened and then yeah. getting and over it. Matter, that's hard to do. I mean, it took me a yeah. long time. Mm. Um, you know, when this story first came out for me to admit to the people that I'm talking to that I made that mistake too. I, and I was so close to it. That would, that made it even harder. How did you not know, Brooke? Why would you do this? Again, I wasn't, I wasn't focused on the technology. Yes, it was new. Yes, it was rushed. Um, you know, but I just, I was so focused and thought that this problem was unique to Pfizer that I wasn't looking at Moderna. And in Texas, where, where I live, we were able to, to choose the site locations where we were to be vaccinated and choose which, which uh, brand of product we, we wanted in our bodies. And I chose Moderna. And I, I regret that decision every day. I thank God that I have had no problems. My husband's been, been jabbed as well. He's had no problems, but that doesn't mean that we won't. And I know people. I've, I've talked to people that have been injured by these, these products, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, AstraZeneca. I've met them. I've, I've looked into their eyes. I've, I, these people have a name. They have a voice. And they've been injured. And it's just my, um, it's my purpose to be a voice for them. And I'm hopeful that that will come in the form of um, holding these criminals responsible for what they've done and for there to be, you know, a successful recovery. And we can, <clears throat> you know, start a, a fund and, and help these people start the healing process and, and stop the censoring, stop the removal of these support groups, which for some is just a start to their own healing process. And we have, you know, the, these uh, big tech companies have no right to stand in the way of that start of their healing. And that really, really just, it's, it's just, again, it's my purpose and my passion to, to, to help these people. Much respect to you, ma'am. I think it, there's been a massive abuse of trust because I've had doctors on here before and, and I've said to them before, you know, why, why didn't we, you know, why didn't you say anything sooner? And, and, and they, I think a lot of them is because they trusted the government. You know, you tend to trust the people in those positions to to do what they need to do because that's what they're there to do, <laughs> essentially. So when you lose that, I, there's no coming back from this now. I, I, in my opinion, uh, people's trust in, in overall all vaccinations will be. I mean, we're already seeing a reduced uptake in childhood immunizations in Absolutely. Britain already anyway. So even if they were successful vaccines, you know, people are <clears> going to question them. And rightly so, because when you start looking back at it and we'll wrap up soon, because I appreciate you've got a busy day. You know, you, you, you're surprised. Everything we do is is, is re revolved around trust. Everything that's in the food, everything you, you trust that your car's going to come work right from the car manufacturer. You trust that the products that you buy are going to work. 
everything is, is down to trust. And you break that trust and you can't rebuild it. Um, and we've just had the biggest slap in the face, I think. Uh, and it's going to take a long time for people to to get their head around this, I think. I, I, think, it, I think it can be rebuilt. You know, oh, I think, yeah. I think it, it needs to come crashing down around them. And then, you know, it's going to be up to citizens to, to help rebuild that. You know, I mean, I'm not a, a policy uh, maker. You know, I have things that I want to see change uh, from the clinical research perspective. And, and that's making that individual clinical trial site, that patient data available to the regulators when they're making a decision. They need to know what was, what was original, not what Pfizer's reporting. They need to know what happened at the site. And that can only um, happen by either one walking in the door, which they don't they don't like to do. But look at the data. Look at the data the site's collected, not what Pfizer is giving you. So that that's one of the changes that I want to see right away. Obviously, the conflicts of interest, you know, trade, trading stocks and, you know, going from industry to, you know, being being a, a regulator and back and forth that revolving door that you hear about that needs that needs to stop right away mm. um you know so i i you know there are smarter people out there than me that are, that are you know policy makers and have ideas and have been in this business you know and and um yeah we need we need to follow their lead but but i i, I just think that this trust can can be rebuilt but it's gonna have to it's gonna have to get a get us a, a brand new start I guess. they've got to earn it they've got to earn it back i mean i've, I've always thought that we yeah we need we need normal people now in government yes so so i think they've had their chance uh, and in england you know we have um certain places eaton and, and and other sort of institutes where they're not groomed for for politics but they're well they kind of are really <laughs> and they kind of manufacture a certain type of person that seems to be so disassociated from reality and the actual people that they're representing it's like they do it on purpose. Um, so I think what we need to do now is start having people that actually are normal people in government. I don't know why they need to be considered politicians, if you will. Um, yeah, like maybe know. like a like a um, like a secondary review committee. I don't yeah. know. There's so many things. I mean, I, I'm not a policymaker, but hello. We can make anything happen as humans. We're, we're magnificent people. Magnificent things. When when we give when we're given the time and the opportunity and the encouragement to do it. We can do anything. They wouldn't exist where they are if if we didn't exist anyway. They they purely exist because we are here, you know? But that, that you know, that works on the opposite way as well as we will still exist when they're not there. So, you know, we need to bear that in mind as well. But it's that, you know, everybody's been so used to having them steer the ship um, that, that it just takes a little while for people to be able to think, actually, you know, I've always said this, the bin men will still collect the bins or the trash, the road people will still build the roads, you know, the government doesn't exist, you know, they will still exist. So everything will still, you know, still function and stuff. They but... exist because we pay them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They work for me. And yeah. You. Yeah. And that's it. And and when they stop doing, you know, what their job is, when they're not representing the people, then then that's, you know, they should be held in uh, in contempt and reprimanded for it. But okay. they're, they're not, unfortunately. Um, okay, right. So, We've got to wait now, then, have we, for them to respond? What you're going to be, what what you're going to be doing now? Building your case, waiting, or how's you know what's going yeah, on? Yeah, we're we're waiting for um, Pfizer's reply to um, you know our response, 
and then go from there. I mean, I have um, some things going on just, um, you know, that I'm working on again, just helping um, and be an advocate for people that have been injured by these products. And that's what I do. I, I take care of my little family here in Texas. I, you know, uh, I'm a soccer mom. My son's actually, I missed his game this morning. They made it. I didn't think that they were going to make it to the the final, but they did. They made it um, into the game this morning. So if, or it's not the final, it's like the semifinal. So if they win this game that's going on right now, then I'll be heading to the soccer fields this afternoon to watch the final game. He's a goalkeeper. Oh, well, so, okay. Yeah, so just to remember, when they say soccer, they actually mean our football. Football, yes. Yeah, so, so she was yes. correct. Oh, no, we watch, Premier, we watch Premier football all the Premier time. League, yeah, okay, yeah. good, good. That is something we do watch. Sports, yes. News. Yeah. You've got to have some fun in life, haven't you, really, at the end of the day? You don't want everything to be ruined. Um, right, Brooke, so where can everybody find you? So I'm, I, um, I don't have a website or anything. I'm not, um, you know, crowd funding, you know, and, and looking for anything except, you know, thoughts, prayers, uh, messages. If you want to message me on Twitter, I have my, my handles. I am Brooke Jackson. I, I try to get back as quickly as possible to anybody. I guess I just appreciate that you giving me the time to talk about what, what I saw and what I reported and, and how, how, um, you know, I got to, got to be here. So I appreciate, I appreciate that very much. That's all right. I appreciate you coming on. I mean, I'm, I'm just a random guy <laughs> sliding into the end. No, so you're not random. <laughs> we're getting there slowly. We're getting there slowly. I think the more conversations we have like this, no matter how old they they end up being, you know, we people can still go back and revisit them uh, is where I'm thinking. So mm-hmm. we're on the right side of history, Brooke. That's what's important. I that think. is a good feeling, isn't it? I know that, yeah. you know, one day, you know, my kids do get frustrated. They're like, mom, why are you always, you know, researching and on the podcast and taking calls and one day they'll understand you know that their their mom um is no hero their their mom saw something that was wrong and i said something i stood up and it didn't matter who it was was against you know i uh actually i wrote this down the other day maybe i can't find it right now um but somebody asked me um it if it was scary or if I was afraid to go up against big pharma and the answer is no, no, I'm not afraid. I'm afraid of what this product is doing to people and you know, what, what comes from my standing up and having integrity. That's what I have. You know, Um, I read, I read something the other day that talks about um, the love is the emotion, not the love that we know is emotion, but, to truly get to that kind of state of love, you need to be able to accept truth. To be able to accept truth, you need to not be afraid. And at the moment, everybody's afraid. So until we can get people to stop being fearful, they can't accept the truth. If you can't accept the truth, you can't understand the truth and then preach the truth. And if you can't do that, then you can't experience love as a whole kind of thing, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting because absolutely, yeah. When I've never been scared. I was prepared to lose my job uh, through this and I've made no bones about that you know, from, from the get go, I've never been afraid because it's like you wear the kind of cloak of truth, you know, like an armor. It's like, it's not afraid, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) What's worse is, is uh, what, what the alternative is worse. Uh, and sitting here looking at my kid in the eye and saying, Oh, I did nothing because I was afraid, uh, would be worse. Um, so you're right in what you're saying. It's like, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not just not afraid. 
And there, are, there are those moments that, that, that fear, that anxiety creep in, in, into my mind. And I immediately just have to either stop and pray or, mm. you know, do something, do something different. Just get that thought out of my head because it's irrational. And, you know, I, I just refuse to, to live in that state. And yeah. I know, like you said, we're on the right side of history and I, uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, no, I appreciate your time. And on that note, I'll uh, sign off. Thank you so much, Brooke. Carry on You're fighting welcome. the fight. All right. Please Thank stay in touch. You too. You too. When you become a billionaire, don't uh, don't be a stranger. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come visit. Yeah, please do. All right. Please do. You take care now. All right. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye.